As Steve mentioned, we're starting a uh, short series on the book 1 John from this morning. So our reading this morning will be from the beginning of 1 John, going all the way through chapter 1 and then the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And I'll be reading from the NIV version. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Um, that shirt blinded me. Um, in case you're wondering what happened, the, the elders had this thing where we said we'd all wear Hawaiian shirts on Christmas Day and David wasn't here yesterday. I think he's just really scared that the penalty may still apply and you can ask him what the penalty is sometime. But obviously it, now it doesn't. He's, he's crossed, ticked that box. Um, when, we, when you heard that reading... It is interesting, isn't it? Like John, I don't know, he's a bit of a rebel. You've got the Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark and Luke. They all make sense. And then you read John's Gospel and it's just different. It just stands out as different in style and everything. Um, I remember noticing at college that the, the Greek is really easy to translate in 1 John. But it's not exactly easy to unravel. So it's the kind of book of the Bible where you kind of need a strong cup of coffee and you don't read it just before you go to bed. It won't help. Um, so let's pray as we look at this part of the Bible that we'll be able to understand what can be a little bit tricky. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at your word in 1 John, we pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would reassure us with the truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray for each of us here. We pray that we would know new life in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. There's all sorts of ways that you can test whether you really are alive. You can do the pinch test. But that's a bit boring. There's more interesting ways to test if you're alive, like going for a swim in freezing cold water in the middle of winter. That's one way to see if you're really alive. Or maybe you're going to the dentist and getting a filling. It really tests whether, you can, yeah, whether you're alive. Or maybe you just have the grandkids over for a sleepover. That might do it for you. There's many ways you can test if you are really alive. And I think this letter that we're looking at was written to Christians who may have, may have had doubts about where they stand with their faith in Jesus. Are they really alive? John doesn't throw a bucket of cold water over them. Instead, as you read across, it's like he gives these little tests, these little tick boxes. Are you trusting in Jesus? Well, yeah, you are alive. Are you battling against sin? You may not be winning all the time, but are you battling against sin? Yeah, you're alive in Christ. Are you loving your fellow Christians? You're definitely alive in Christ. Are you striving to be obedient to God? Well, yes. You're alive in Christ. It's like, as you read across, there's these, these, these tests um, put together in a way that's actually encouraging. And why would you need this sort of encouragement? Well, as you look across, if you look in 2 verse 19, it appears there that some have left these Christians, maybe left their church, which is a painful thing to happen. I'm sure some of us have seen that sort of thing happen to a friend who... You thought they were on board. You thought they were a Christian, and yet they've walked away from Christ. It is very unsettling. So 2 verse 19 sounds like maybe one of the reasons why these Christians would need encouraging. Be able to say, yes, you are alive. Look, you're, you're battling against sin, and so on. There's another hint at it, and it's down in chapter 2 verse 26. It says, I'm writing these things to you about those 
who are trying to lead you astray. If people are trying to lead you astray, of course you need encouragement to keep hanging on to the gospel of Jesus. So I've shown you two possible reasons why these Christians may need encouragement to know that they are really alive in Christ. And we know that we could do with the same encouragement, can't we? Um, one more little bit of context in terms of understanding this letter. If you look at the other end, this is one of the reasons why it's good to bring a Bible with you. You can flip around. It's much better than those devices that yeah, all these young people can use. If you look at chapter 5, verse 13, 5, verse 13, John declares his purpose in writing. So 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to Christians writing to reassure them, writing so that they will know they really do have new life in Christ. In this short letter, um, I reckon John gives you these tests, these ways of going, yes, tick that box, I'm on board, I do have new life in Christ, I'm battling against sin, I'm trying to be obedient, I'm trusting in Jesus. Um, you also have these tests that you might apply to others. So there's these ones leading them astray. There's these tests, you know, are these people who are trying to lead you astray, are they preaching the same gospel or are they preaching something different? If they're preaching something different, no. Are they saying one thing and doing another? Well, don't listen. Are they battling against sin themselves or are they just giving in? These tests you can apply to other people as, as well. So he holds up for us what real life looks like um, and encourages us and corrects us and rebukes us as we look through these reminders of what real life is like. If you've read John's gospel recently, I'm sure as you looked at 5 verse 13, it would have rung some little bells in the back of your mind. But think about how John's gospel ends. He does this same thing where at the end of the gospel, like at the end of 1 John, John says why he's writing. And so in the gospel, it's a little bit, um, it's in a bit of a tricky context. So in, in chapter 20 of John's gospel, you hear about Thomas or Didymus, the guy that doubted that Jesus really was alive or said he doubted. He says, unless you show me the, you know, the marks in your hands and on your feet, I won't believe. He wanted evidence that Jesus really was alive and resurrected. And when Jesus appeared to him, he, he says to John, he goes, blessed are they who don't need to see and yet believe. And then John declares why he's written the gospel. So John 20 verse 31 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John declares his purpose in writing the gospel is in order that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you would have life. And then you compare that with 1 John 5 verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a similarity, isn't there? It's like the gospel's written to persuade you to become a Christian and one John's written to Christians to say, hang in there. You've got eternal life in Christ. It works together like that. So with all that kind of context, a bit of a feel for the letter, that'll give you the kind of the filter through which to read. Come back now to um, the beginning of the reading today. Come back to John chapter one, uh, 1 John chapter 1. In the first few sentences or verses there, um, John speaks about eternal life in terms of fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with God through friendship with Jesus, fellowship with God that overflows in real fellowship with other Christians. It's all about being united in Christ, being in fellowship with Christ, and the fellowship that comes 
with others who share that same faith. Um, so down in chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, our fellowship with God, it's grounded in the gospel. What unites us is the fact that we believe in Jesus. We share the same gospel. The way we come into fellowship with God, it's, not, it's by receiving, believing, and hanging on to the truth we've heard about Jesus, the unchanging truth, the truth that John and others are bearing witness to in this letter. Um, verse 1 calls it the word of life. Um, verse 2 calls it, it says eternal life is what he proclaims. So our fellowship with God and our fellowship with each, with each other, it's based on the truth about Jesus. And have a look at how important the message itself is. So 1 verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our, hearts, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John wants his original readers, the, the people he's writing to, and us, wants us to be united with him in the same faith, trusting in the same gospel, the same word of life, and so the basis of our unity or the basis of our fellowship is that truth, that gospel, the word of life, Jesus, um, the truth that John and others bear witness to. Our fellowship as Christians, that's what it's based in. We're not a group of people here in, in Kemore gathered just because we like each other. That's not the way it works. Uh, we don't gather together because we share a same common interest in Holdens or something weird like that. We gather together because our common connection, our common interest, our shared concern is the gospel of Jesus. And as we put our trust in the gospel of Jesus, we receive eternal life with God the Father. We're in fellowship with Jesus, in fellowship with each other. It works like that. The thing that makes us united is that we're united with God by trusting in Jesus. So think about the consequences of getting the gospel wrong. We're not united with people who hold to another gospel who hold to another truth, who believe in something else. We're not united with people who don't believe the same thing. If what we preach is not what John preaches, then we're not in fellowship with John. And if he's right, then we're not in fellowship with God. And so you think about um, the original recipients of this letter having others trying to lead them astray. There's the test, isn't it? Are they preaching the same gospel? John writes to these people and we read it. He writes in order that we'll be sure that we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus and sure that we're trusting in it, um, that we are trusting the same gospel. Um, there's the first test of life. Are you really alive? Well, are you believing in the gospel of Jesus, the same gospel that John was preaching way back then? Are you hanging on to the truth about Jesus? There is constant pressure, isn't there, to kind of tweak the gospel? soften it up a bit, take the sharp edges off it. Pressure to maybe take the Bible less literally, you know, smooth a few bits over, make it more palatable. I mean, we've been looking through parts of the Old Testament where you certainly want to do that when it talks about, you know, that's another story. There's this constant pressure, constant pressure on us to compromise the gospel, to soften it, to change it, but we can't do that because that undermines our faith in Jesus. That undermines who we are as Christians. How will we know if we're really alive? Well, if we're hanging on to the same unchanged 
gospel truth, even when people accuse us of being, I don't know, fundamentalist or um, narrow-minded or whatever it might be. Next few verses, um, John gives us another test of life. He gives it in the negative and the positive. So the negative comes like this. It goes, if you are not walking in the light or living in the light, if you're not walking in the light, well, you don't have fellowship. And the positive, if we are walking in the light, we do have fellowship. In other words, if you have fellowship with God, it's got to change you. If you believe the gospel of Jesus and are trying to live it out, you will be a different person. So look at verse 5, 1 verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The talk of walking in the light, it's like living in the light. Um, We can't be unchanged by the light of the gospel. We need to be transformed. We must change. It's not that we will become sinless. Well, not this side of heaven. That can't work. It's not that we become perfect. Verse 8 says, if you claim to be without sin, you're deceiving yourself. Verse 10 says, if we claim we haven't sinned, we're calling God a liar. It's not that we're perfect, but we're changed. And we're trying to live in the light if we're trusting in Jesus. It means you're growing in your awareness of sin and your desire to be obedient, maybe growing to be quicker to confess your sin. Um, Look at how it keeps going. So chapter 2 picks it up. My dear children, I write this to you so that you, um, so that you will not sin. Big goal. But if anyone does sin, there it is. You're not perfect. He writes so that you would be sinless, but you know that you can't. My dear children, I write to you, this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to, God, to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Um, I'm sure you've heard it said that Christians aren't good people, we're just forgiven. There is a lot of truth in that. We aren't good people, we are just forgiven. But we're trying to be good. We're trying to live in a way that pleases God. It's like we've got our learners on, front and back. um, And others should be able to see that. We are battling with sin. We're not just giving into it without trying to resist. We're battling with sin. We're wanting to live for God. So how can you check if you're really alive in Christ? Are you trusting in the unchanging gospel? Tick the box. Are you trying to be godly? Tick the box. You have eternal life. You're growing, are you growing more and more aware of your sin? Growing quick to repent? They're the signs of life, signs that you're living for God. Um, if you can tick those boxes, be encouraged. Be reassured. Um, Next few verses continue in the same kind of vein. A life in fellowship with God is a life of walking in the light and growing in obedience. Have a look at how verse uh, verse 3 of chapter 2 and following. Um, Again, you get negative and then positive. So verse 3 of chapter 2. We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, here's the positive, God's love is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 
If we love God, we'll do what he says. Jesus himself says the same thing in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Obedience is another test of life, isn't it? Are you genuine as a Christian? Well, are you trying to obey? There's a test of life. Um, we'll never make ourselves acceptable to God by being obedient. We'll never make ourselves acceptable to God by being good. We're made acceptable to God by Jesus' death in our place. But because we've been forgiven for making a mess of things, well, we'll try to do what's right, won't we? So if you're growing in an awareness of sin, if you're growing in obedience, then you can be sure eternal life is at work in you. One of the most visible signs of life will be the way that we treat each other. Um, remember John says, uh, Jesus says in John 13, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see that here in 1 John 2. Look at the negative and the positive tests again in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother or sister is in the light. There is nothing in him or in them to make them stumble. But whoever hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is, because, uh, where he's going, because the darkness has blinded them. Um, I don't think I need to point out to you that some of the fiercest battles we have are in the home with the people who are closest to us. Um, there's a sense that familiarity, yeah, it does breed contempt. We're more free to let rip at each other at home. But at the same time, some of our deepest and most genuine relationships are in the home when you sort out those arguments, when you sort through those, that mess. Similar things can be said, I think, for a church family or a church fellowship. Our fellowship's in the gospel. That's what binds us together. We will disagree. We will um, have times when we um, show complete lack of love towards each other. But if we're genuinely Christian, then we will work at loving one another. Like in Ephesians, it talks about bearing with each other, putting up with each other, because we're united in the gospel. The thing is, as genuine followers of Jesus, we are expected to go that extra mile to show love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think we make it easier for each other when we allow others to be loving towards us as well. Aussies aren't great at that, but you need to allow that as well. So this theme, it will come up again, this theme of loving one another. It'll come up again and again in 1 John. For example, have a look ahead at chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? You can see how this works, can't you? So as followers of Jesus, we ought to make every effort to show real love for each other, sacrificial love for each other, understanding the way God has loved us in Jesus. And as you do that, yeah, we will stand out as different to the world around us. It is very easy to go along with the self-centered um, world that we live in, but we should lash out and be different and be kind and caring and loving towards each other in a way that lets others know that we are followers of Jesus. And if we get it right, that is what will happen. If we are showing that genuine love to each other, others will notice. They will be drawn in to the gospel of Jesus. And if we get it wrong, then we allow others the opportunity to say, you hypocrite. 
this short letter, it, it, it's written to those who believe, those who, who are trusting in Jesus, so that we'll be encouraged, so that we will know that we have eternal life. And as you look across, you see these tests, these little tests of life. Um, we've only scratched the surface today, but as you read on, John returns to these ideas and turns them over and around and inside out and back to front and looks at them from different angles. He's writing that we may know we have eternal life, eternal life that is fellowship with God the Father, a fellowship that's based in the gospel, a fellowship that involves walking in the light, being quick to confess our sin, quick to want to obey God, a life of love, showing love towards each other. Um, there are some harsh warnings in this letter as you read on, but overall it is an encouragement to those of us who have our trust in Jesus. Um, there are many ways you can test if you're alive. The pinch test, cold water. Uh, John, uh, one John works in that similar kind of way, encouraging us to know that we really are alive when we put our trust in Jesus. Let me finish by reading the verses that just after what the reading was today. So verses 12 to 17, it reads a bit like a poem or a hymn or some sort of verse. And then I'll pray. So from verse 12 of chapter 2. I write to you, dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that we cannot live. Lord, thank you that Jesus died in our place to take the punishment we deserve for ignoring you. Lord, thank you that you raised Jesus to life again as ruler over everything and making it possible for us to share an eternal life with you. Lord, please help us keep trusting in Jesus. We pray that as we trust in him, that you would be at work in us, continuing to change us, to live for you. We pray too that you'd be reassuring us with the certainty of the gospel and with the hope of eternal life. Lord, please keep working in us and changing us. Please make us more aware of our sin. Please make us quick to repent. Please make us quick to obey. And Lord, please make us better at loving one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.